My name is Danny, and I play in a band called Output 111. Cold Waves of Comfort was the name of an album that I had worked on for the past three or four years.
it's really yeah it's really harsh and scary in a weird way <laughs> yeah so like don't reveal too much right no state secrets or whatever molly ha- uh what's the question that i started to show what did you think <laughs> of the of the recording it was wild i listened to it this morning it was i actually really wanted i thought it would be kind of a funny bit because i'm getting back into cds um the the buying and like burning of, of cds and like got a disc oh, cool. man and like a because my computer obviously doesn't come with a cd cd drive because no one is doing that anymore and so i was like oh i'd be sick if i could like rip this song and then like put it on like burn it on a cd and then go like listen to it on a disc man and i just like did not quite get it together to do that <laughs> um but i yeah I, li- I listened to it at my like computer desk this morning it was wild honestly like it was very um all-encompassing <laughs> like <laughs> like it was very it was very like uh, like a lot in a cool way it made me think that i've maybe been listening to music too quietly lately because i'm worried about like damaging my ears and i actually need to like turn it up because i feel like it sounded more uh, immediate than other things that i've been listening to yeah this was the loudest one of the uh, the whole season at least okay sick hell yeah love to love to get that yeah. <laughs> love to get in on that <laughs> the drums were crazy when they when those kicked in i wanted to ask what kind of drums are you playing in this song or someone else playing uh, these are actually fake drums. Okay. Mostly programmed um, okay. and done so in a way that's, instead of actually doing a proper loop, they're roughly copy and pasted. So they go in and out of sync with themselves and with the bass. Okay. Yeah, the bass and the drums end up being quite off time. And I think there's about four different kinds of drums that are used. Okay. Um, and that, that was one of the concerns was like mixing this was, there's so much shit that I've put into the proper song that I was like, can I hear it? And can I hear exactly what's going on? And is this like, um, is this important or is it, mm. is it good enough for the energy? Yeah. But yeah, those are mostly logic, uh, like logic drum uh, samples that I've then like processed and stretched and uh, manipulated with like tons of effects. Cool. Uh, yeah. Th- that was extremely intense. Do you, uh, when you're making stuff like this or when you're like working on it, how, how much, what, what is like the process of elimination? If like when you're listening to things back, like if you're, for example, deciding if something like works or not, mm-hmm. how like attuned are you in like playing things back to like understanding what is even like happening? Does that, does that make sense as a question? Kinda, I, I yeah. ask mostly as like a, a non, a non musician. I mean, I kind of, my answer to that would be is like a non-engineer. Um, mm. This was one of the also one of the oldest tracks from this okay. like album. I remember writing it, and I remember having separate things that I wanted in the track, like wanting this chord progression that I think I had a I had like I had in my mind from like Kid A era Radiohead, mm-hmm. and then having this finger picked kind of thing just because it felt like it needed some sort of movement or some sort of pace. Mm-hmm. And then um, I made a loop on the guitar, like a like properly recorded loop, um, and it cut off at a certain point, and it sounded very awesome and like heavy, and it was like, like out of its yeah. own way. And I really wanted that in there as the chorus. Like originally, the chorus had no words; it was just n- noise and, and horror. 
I was showing it to the to my buddy who was um, working with me on an EP we released in this project, uh, like for the same band in mm-hmm. 2018. And he was like engineering and mastering the tracks on that. And I showed that like this song to him. I was like, what do you think? And he goes, that frequency is too loud and it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that like, <laughs> he's, he's such a close friend that he can say something like that. And like, no, it's going to cut deeply into my, into my being that like, I really fucking wanted that, that quality and that tone. He's like, no, 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 just take, take it out. It's got to. Wow, I like this like sense of f- physical responsibility for for one's health. I feel like there are other people who'd be like, "Yeah, good." <laughs> yeah, those are like me. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to hurt. That's the whole point. Uh, I was actually gonna make some joke about like processing trauma or something. But I feel like... <laughs> so, like I in my real life edit videos, and mm-hmm. that that interface is like. You basically just see like a bunch of like building blocks on top of each other that represent like clips or like audio or effects or like, animations or whatever. Like in you in you making that song, like how many levels and like layers are we looking at in the software that you are using? If I counted all of the stuff that's in the in monitor, the vocal song, uh-huh. uh, probably like sixty. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, I just feel, okay, maybe this is, but like follow question is like, that feels so not like math amatical, but kind of that you have to kind of pay attention to like logic and organization of like how you like structure like a project like this. Does that Mm -hmm. feel at odds with creating music or does that feel like exactly the same brain as creating music? Uh, I think, I think a bit of both. Like it's certainly frustrating when you're aware of, the number of things you want to be in a song that you've written that's you know obnoxiously maximalist yeah um <laughs> and that sort of like understanding that the reason why you can't hear the drums or that that one drum beat or that guitar line that you were really married to mm. when you wrote this thing like I don't know, two two and a half three or four years ago um like having that sort of sense of well well you know does it sound good actually kicking in with like the oh but this really cool thing stands Mm. out oh but Mm. i can't hear what the lyrics are oh but that that neat little synth is drowning in the background like for for this for these episodes i've tended to like bounce the the song vocals separately because i've had those files and there have only been like one or two where i've redone a vocal thing leading up to an episode like Mm. they're all pretty close to what we originally recorded but um there's just so much shit in there that it's it's I feel like it's it's just a battle to be like am I am I just masturbating over like a logic file or does this actually sound good so what when is when is a song done like when when do you like clap your hands together and and go like okay nice nice job (laughs) bye uh the original songs like would have been like I don't know four or five years but like for the episodes themselves I've tried to limit my like what I'm doing on them like if there's okay. an idea because a number of these episodes feature songs that myself and my bandmates Vic and Gene are um are working on in the in our rehearsal space now that we can physically rehearse in the same place again mm-hmm. which we have not been able to do through the pandemic right like putting those extra tracks together and those ideas they're recorded very quickly um, mm. maybe 
uh, over a couple one to three hour sessions in a few days. And as the show has been going on and I've been booking more and more like guests at a specific slot, I've been running out of time to be precious about stuff. That's an interesting side effect. Yeah. <laughs> doing this like via podcast. I mean, like it's been really cool to take to approach it like I don't know if this is true but Jeff Burroughs uh band Beak like in one of the interviews he spoke about wanting to write a record that didn't take 13 years to make mm-hmm. like I wanted to do something like that like I wanted to make something that fought against every other urge and maybe made me a better singer or a better songwriter like not not mm-hmm. a better guitarist uh because to get the best guitar line out of me it would take a really long time like not I, I'm, I'm I I I drown my effect my performance and effects to really hide mistakes or make them sound a lot cooler that's I, I love that approach to life honestly as long as the technology is there that should that should be done well, like how do you approach because I watched um I watched the video you just uh you just directed just came out the other day um pizza yes it was a great video thank you I mean, the energy of the cuts like really matched the like kind of like raunchy playfulness of the song. Like the vibe was perfect. And I've seen videos that take like that sort of following the singer through like a a series of environments or a day and not really capture any sense of fun, playfulness or excitement, like not be visually dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Like the thing that jumps out of mind is this like Sharon Van Etten video from a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like this one video. I can't remember what the song was called, but it was from her last one. And it, it was like a, the same concept, but done in the opposite way. So it was like just massive establishing shots for five to 10 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. That sounds interesting. <laughs> interesting approach. Like what was your, what was your um, kind of approach when you, when you jumped into the, the track and the, the video yeah. for it? That was, it, it was a kind of, I've, I've made, this is my third video for Shy Baby. I went to college with uh, Grace, who mm-hmm. is like the lead singer of the band. Um, and she was very kind enough to let, like my, I made my first music video with her. And that was very much a sense of like, I kind of know what I'm doing, but also like, I definitely don't, I don't have a reel of stuff that I've done because I haven't done any of it. Uh, you know, can I do this for you? And they were like, yeah, that's great. We'd already kind of had a sense of like working together and comfort levels and stuff. And I think the only thing, you know, we want to do something that could be shot kind of quickly, not expensive, um, you know, that didn't require like a lot of setups or a lot of like fussing. And I think that that the more videos I make, that's kind of my style at the end of the day is like, I'm not a cinematographer. I know there like there are so many of those people who can like Fuss. I remember when my first my one of my first video production jobs was at Thrillist and which is like a website for food and drink recommendations and like travel and stuff and I I was associate producing and my producer was also like he would direct shoots and he had like a ton of experience shooting and like I swear to god he we were filming something that was like five pumpkin beers like to try and we were in a studio and he was fussing with the light for like three hours to the point where I was like, what the hell? But you know what? It looked so good. Like it honestly looked commercial level good. Yeah. And that's like, that's a whole thing that you can do is like fuss forever. 
be a super perfectionist, create something that is like totally controlled and you know exactly what's going to happen. I don't have those skills. Like, and I don't know if I could ever get them. I've definitely gotten better, but I'm much better at kind of doing like run and gun documentary style. Like, let's just try to like capture a moment as opposed to make it perfect. And then that comes into the edit. And that's the only thing I wanted to do in that video was like, I, I don't want it to be boring because there are a lot, I mean, there's a lot of like DIY videos these days. And so sometimes the point is to be boring. I think there's a lot of videos that are more like, let's have a vibe. And it's more like a chill out thing, like a visualizer. Um, but I was like, if this is going to be a super cheap production, let's at least like make it like interesting and dynamic. And then fun accidents kind of kept happening when I was cutting it together. I didn't really have a vision, like it wasn't storyboarded or anything like that. And so I think kind of maybe similarly to how music production gets kind of constructed on your end, I would just kind of do shit that was random and then be like, ah, that looks cool. Let's keep it. <laughs> and which again is like, I'm sh there's a whole, there's a whole way of editing. That's, you know, we plan the shots and they're going in this order, yada, yada. And I'm much more chaotic, I guess, in how things get put together. But I think it, tur it turns out okay. I think in the end and it's, yeah, it's, the music is very like dive bar, rock and roll, punk rock kind of thing. So it needed that that energy to match, whether it's, you know, just eating eating pizza in like a weird abandoned alleyway. Yeah, we did we did her roof at, at like sunrise, that, which would have been like five in the morning at the time we shot, I think. And then we did my that was the night shot was in my neighborhood, which is in Gowanus in Brooklyn, which is like it's just the perfect kind of garbagey destroyed definitely getting more and more developed but just like there are all these areas that are just these weird dead ends that are have like graffiti and crabgrass and like <laughs> I, I love it uh, like it, I, every every like little dead end I'm like oh shit this looks like a cool place to like act like a, a, a weirdo on camera so yeah it was like two two hours in the morning and like two hours at night that's really that was it was like just it's fucking awesome thank you so much that's my that's my critical take on things <laughs> it rocks it's dope it's fucking awesome i hey i i'm also i i have a hard time kind of drilling down on like when things are good you know there there was a different life where i was like trying to write music reviews um when i first like got like senior year of college and then like the first year of getting out of college and it's really hard to describe things. I'm just like, I don't know, man. It, it rocks. <laughs> I was I was having trouble getting, you know, getting adjectives to, to line up without sounding like completely overwritten and pretentious, which I definitely did because that was the that was the vibe. Was it for any like major publication or was it I like wrote, independent scenes? I wrote for Prefix magazine. Do you remember that or are familiar with that? No. It was not, it was definitely not the biggest site, but it was definitely, it, 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 they had a bunch of writers, some of whom, you know, I'm like uh, chuffed to, to see have like gone on to real like writing careers. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. So it was like an incubator <laughs> that I was like part, part of it in some way. Um, but it, it was like one, one guy basically running it and I got paid $2 per news post and $10 an album review. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm getting paid for my writing. 
And at one point, Gawker wrote up, like, wrote an expose. Not it wasn't even an expose. It was just like a little report, being like, Prefix Magazine only pays their writers two dollars a news post, as like a like look at these like ex- exploitative jerks. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just happy. You know, I'm not trying to live off this. I, I would write my news post at my other job and be like, cool, another ten dollars today. Yeah. So that 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 was the extent of like my written music career. So. Like one of the things that I think going back to that, I don't know if it's if it, if I would say it's like trouble reviewing stuff. I think it's just being like direct. Mm. Um, that was one of the things that I actually really enjoy about uh, like and introducing the way you and Chris, you know, you talk about music with you know a great sense of knowledge. You know, you've done clearly done research. You know, you read the whole Anthony Kiedis uh, uh, biography and a number of many others. Yeah. Um, like just as a side, one of the funniest things of that episode is like stating a fact about Anthony Kiedis followed immediately by gross. <laughs> <laughs> over an over three hours. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that was that's a that's his whole I, I do wonder if he's ever going to write another thing to maybe like correct not correct his wrongs, but then I'm like, he's Anthony Kiedis, he's not gonna do that. You can't, you can't edit something like that. It's too late. Okay, that's, but you, if you, you edit these? Oh yeah, yeah, I have ultimate say. So I like, I just cut myself to sound very, you know, profound. Yeah. And if I have something I do that moving. Too. Yeah, I'll like have, do you know the song When the Tigers Broke Free by Pink Floyd? Yes, yes. And it's very rousing. I mean, it's deeply sad, but at the beginning you just hear this sort of like, if I cut that over something that I think sounds smart, I think I'll sound like <laughs> I really got something to say. <laughs> Whoever's listening was be like, "Oh yeah, that's a good point, dude." <laughs> the, pow- the power of suggestion. No, the the ed- editing, the we- wielding the the sword in post is really fun because yeah, you cut out likes and ums and whatever you want, and then you listen back and you're like, "Yeah, I just get, I just gave a." fucking like ted talk like i'm i'm the shit yeah anyway what you you were saying something about in introducing and like music critics or like reviews yeah like i kind of compared it to um like i used to find when pitchfork was written by people who were like interested in music um and not you know is it conde nast is that who's in charge yeah it is yeah um I found it alienating at times. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the joke that David Cross had was the pitchfork scale is one to zero and how close they are to Radiohead. Um, <laughs> That's, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I remember trying to read like a Tom Waits review and there was just like some fucking novel before getting to the actual material. And I was like, you say it's best music. Just tell me how. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, this is not a creative writing assignment. I mean, it is, I guess, but like, yeah, this yeah. is not, you're not turning this in for a grade. Yeah. Like I think, I think an introducing does so in a way that I, I would like, I also think is more effective than a uh, song exploder is, you know, actually having a relatable voice, talk to you mm. about something and walk you through the song. Like the, the episode that really hooked me on you guys was the Scott Walker one. Oh um, yeah. That was someone I knew nothing, literally nothing about. And that was a, a suggestion from, from Ma- Maddie was the guest, right? I think so. Was he also yeah. on the Radiohead one, or was he on someone else? The Radiohead one was actually funny connection. The Radiohead guest was uh, this guy Masita, 
he was a musician and i actually reviewed his track for prefix in like 2012 and like stayed following him on um twitter and then i i cannot i maybe we we were like in each other's mentions or something i was like you should come on the podcast like what do you want to talk about he's like radiohead chris chris of course is like oh no (laughs) but yeah i think i think it was maddie for for scott walker um but had you listened to scott walker before listening to that podcast very little okay like i i read his name a lot in comparisons to acts that i liked and when my drummer first reached out to us when vic first reached out to us he was saying a song on our ep really made him like remind him of scott walker Mm -hmm. um but before that the only track that i knew was the farmer in the city okay um yeah like a gorgeous moving cinematic one that is good when you're like tired on your way home from a very late shift on like Mm -hmm. a streetcar you know tram i hadn't experienced much and you know that episode like you know you you cover everything from sun ain't gonna shine no more is that the early one i think so like you covered quite a bit of walker brothers stuff yeah yeah really bringing somebody in in within an hour or an hour and a half can't remember how long it actually was but like within that period of time you really brought the listener into all of these phases of Scott Walker from that lush, almost boy band, I guess, kind of kind of vibe yeah, of the Walker Brothers right. to um, The Electrician, which is such an awesome fucking song. Yeah, that song is wild. Um, listening to that song, I was, I was just thinking about it the other day. I was walking down the road putting it on, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've always liked Timber Timbre, but now I can, like, pick the seeds of where they kind of came from. Yeah, yeah, the, re- the reference is, is there. Yeah. And, you know, being able to tell that is kind of cool, but, you know, I didn't even know that Scott Walker recorded fart jokes and that was something I learned from you guys. And I'm forever yeah. grateful to that. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, that honestly now, cause you, you had recorded the music that you're debuting this podcast a few, like three years ago or something. Probably 2018, maybe 17. I think, I think yeah. 18. Yeah. Cause the, I, I do think like listening to some of the later Scott Walker stuff that is just so like, it's like not, it kind of like takes you on the, this like crazy emotional journey. And it's like so much more abstract than the stuff that he did. Abstract is the, the word I'm looking for. Like in the sixties and somewhat in the seventies, it was much more like legible and you kind of like knew what exactly what was going on. And then he just got into much more like mood things. And so I saw, yeah. I saw, I see a connection there uh, of what I, at least what I listened to today that sort of, uh, or also the, the not afraid to being like, a little dark, a little, little creepy. <laughs> Do you like creepy things? Uh, like to an extent. Yeah, you know it's spooky season, so I don't, I don't know when this episode is airing, but it is spooky season. Oh, it'll be Monday after next one, so it'll be close to the, it'll be close to the spooky day. Um, how also how how into Halloween are Canadians? I guess I didn't really. I know your Thanksgiving is like a totally different. Yeah, that was Monday. Different month. <laughs> yeah, happy happy Thanksgiving. Oh, thanks. Um. Yeah, uh, I think we're pretty into it. I'm 33 and I don't have kids, so I've kind of drifted away. I think like once or twice we've had, you know, families with young kids in the apartment building come by. So we buy Mm -hmm. like, you know, a box of candy and there's like one really adorable kid who's shy, dressed up as like a Ninja Turtle. And yeah, maybe one one more of those in one or two years, but uh, it's mostly... So I think mostly folks our age and seniors in the building, so we're not getting okay. a lot of like trick or treaters. Yeah, 
yeah. yeah. Trick or treat culture in, in New York City is like weird because there's definitely I think they do it by like building and, you know, there's like more family friendly buildings. But like we li- we live in an apartment with like there's one other unit. So like I don't, I don't think there's there, there's not quite the knocking on someone's someone's stranger's door <laughs> culture in New York City. <laughs> that's like much more uh, not 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 a thing, but. Shouting through the door. Yeah, right. (laughs) I can hear the TV. Right. (laughs) You give me candy, then I'll go back inside. (laughs) I um I can I canvassed for a city council um candidate over the summer and just remember being shocked that anyone answers their door at all when they're not expecting something. I was stunned. I was really expecting to bat zero. So it but trick-or-treating it opens it up a little bit i guess was it in anyway, the neighborhood spoo- you're... oh sorry go ahead uh, oh yeah it was in an adjacent neighborhood which i was familiar with as being full of like maybe more m- traditional people you know not not the like uh deviant 20s something or like early something the early 30 something crowd but more of like a family like people who've lived there for decades and decades kind of vibe so i was like okay maybe they're they're just more connected to what's going on in the neighborhood or something um but spookiness and music um i think the the stuff that i've written through this project has generally gone either dark or heavily dark um Mm -hmm. i actually was listening back to some of the older episodes like sometimes i'll do that after i bounce one just to see how they all sound in sequence Mm -hmm. and they, they do sound really dark but predominantly very sad yeah um like it's the most depressing uh pop culture show i could make but um <laughs> i i don't know i guess i mean musically it's more interesting if it's louder or exciting or um some form of aggression like uh, a couple episodes back i was talking about what i was listening to at the time which was afi records i grew up on oh yeah like i I went through a trip of like bad religion and AFI from like the early nineties. Okay. Like generator and black sales in the sunset and, you know, being start like surprised at how much I enjoy them still, even if I found the lyrics to be like, especially on the AFI stuff, embarrassing. Um, Yeah. Like, you know, I was, I was a kid. So at the time it was, it was awesome, but like the, the energy was cool and it was, heavier and darker and I sort of saw like oh that's why I I might have been more acceptable to um in in university like uh Nick Cave or um Mm -hmm. like I'm looking at my posters right now I got (laughs) like just for like reference oh Oh, yeah Mm -hmm. it's like what what band am I trying to reference (laughs) um yeah like Nick Cave was a was a huge one through that period into now and the weirder Radiohead stuff which like I, I guess I would consider like amnesiac would probably mm-hmm. be like certainly their their darkest sounding one. Yeah. I never really got into much goth beyond that kind of section. And yeah. Vic kind of described us once. We were trying to figure out what kind of adjective we could use to tell people what the band was. And he was like normcore goth. Ah, that's good. That's yeah. really good. Have it's, you used that? <laughs> I I I kind of challenged it because I didn't feel like I was wearing anything normal enough. I was wearing um there's this Town t-shirt that I have where he's like, uh, it's the the monster from like a real monsters, but he's holding his own balls. And I thought like, yeah, I didn't think that was normal enough. <laughs> That's yeah. That, that toes the line yeah. of, you know, I mean, it, it, it was it just, you know, like a regular shaped t-shirt. <laughs> I guess I'm like, is it, is normcore goth just like a black t-shirt and jeans, but then nothing else like totally like 
intense accessory wise i mean i i guess you could say that about the national because they kind of have like chords that you would have in goth um yeah. i think one of their, like their more recent sets they started wearing like golf shirts and dressing up like dads that's that's adorable yeah the funniest thing that the the guy one of the guys from the national and meet me in the bathroom said that like he and that band really wanted to be like cool new york city guys but they couldn't wear um chucks because they're it hurt it hurt their back so they had to wear yeah. new balance and like that totally <laughs> describes that that is that completely like positions the national in that in that scene is like they're new balance guys they're, they're not gonna dress like the ramones it's not gonna happen yeah and i don't know i guess none of us really thought that much about fashion we just kind of liked the music that we liked and when one of us would just bring an idea, just try and figure out how to, not necessarily how to make it sound like what we already sound like, but more mm -hmm. of a, just what stays interesting. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that was something that was fueled by the pandemic that kind of led into what I wanted to do with, with this show. And, um, but yeah, back to spooky. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like I listen to darker music. The first guest that we had to like write a full piece on this show was uh, my friend from college, Hex, um, and their partner. Uh, they play in a, a duo called Blood and Dust in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And it's Doom, Experimental. They play a like a cello. And their partner, uh, Liz, uh, she she does heavy synths. And they wrote something that was, like, gorgeous for the episode. Um, this is the fourth one. We did episode four. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give them specifically a shout-out just because, you know, check them out. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're yeah, for sure. Wild. Um, and they're really they're really unique. I'm pro cello. 100% pro cello. have never heard a cello that I didn't like, so. Oh, yeah. It's, like, I'm going to sound fucking pretentious, but it's so, it's so rich. It's so rich. It's lush. Yeah. And then you get a distorted cello. You're, you you listen to cursive ever? No, no. I... Oh, cursive is perfect. That's that is like the they're they're like emo. I, I mean, slap emo on everything. I, I don't necessarily know if that's a, a a good a good thing that I'm doing, but they're from like the Saddle Creek, like bright eyes type of um okay like vibe in he heavy on the cello but it's like super dark jangly rock with cello so it's just oh, cool. it's, it's very good yeah i i have one one question or one kind of follow-up question related to like dark dark intense music which is like listening to the song it's obviously a very like physical experience like it's it at least in i know all listening to all music is physical in a certain way there's you know a air moving past your yeah eardrums or however that works but is that is, is that something that you're conscious of? and I know we talked before about like the the frequency the frequency that hurts <laughs> but like is that <laughs> is that at all is is are there like bodily concerns when you're like playing music back and and like or is that kind of just like a nice like byproduct of the music well there's only been like two times where I've had a visceral reaction to anything I've watched or listened and one of them was to that uh did you watch the Suspiria remake yes so there's that, you know, that scene with the, the mirror room just like being thrown around? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I I think, I don't know if I was extra tired or too hot, but I had to like excuse myself for a few minutes because I felt surprised, like I was surprised that I've never felt nauseous watching something before. 
Totally. But I haven't had that with music. Like with this piece, I think one of the things that really influenced it in particular was uh, Felix was tweeting about Pink Floyd a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of his... Uh, we- we went to Atlantic City and like dr- Chris like drove a van of people and we listened to the, <laughs> the whole album like uh, fr- front to back. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he was he was tweeting about it. And he brought up on on Chapo a whole bunch and yeah. <laughs> like one of the things that I picked up on listening to those those old Floyd records was uh, I think it's the third or fourth track off of Dark Side, which just felt like arpeggiated keyboard chords. I can't remember what it's mm-hmm. called, but it was it was just an instrumental piece. But uh that was that was like the more direct influence of like how to like focusing the track on like a very specific elements like the shakers that, that came in and, and carried under otherwise silence for a really long time. But one of the moments that like I'm just really proud of and I'm gonna like bolster myself up was taking the drums from the song and a 20 minute synth experiment where underneath mm-hmm. that like i just had my synth and like one module that that i have just plugged into it and it was making this one sort of uh fast lfo low tone kind of like repeated thud mm-hmm. um like when i when i record those things i just like have it sitting and going for a while and then my couch is like two feet behind me so i just sit down and look like lenny at the, on the simpsons like thinking about what's happening right now and saying how long before i need to change it yeah so that i don't yeah. ruin it and and can make a good loop mm-hmm. but um there's one moment just before the song where it went from that floyd this floydy thudding low tone mm-hmm. into the drums and they were like it was just a happy accident that they played pretty much the same rhythm yeah and like i, I cut this one night three weeks ago i think three or four weeks ago and then mm-hmm. went for a walk at the the waterfront by my apartment but uh mm-hmm. listening to that and just catching it as like a, a transition that was not planned and it was one of those mm-hmm. things like, ooh, ooh, that's 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 nice that's saying <laughs> it that's what it's all about i love an unplanned i love an unplanned moment I, I do not you know not to get all woo woo or whatever but i i do think that that's the universe acting in a it might not be harmony maybe not for this music <laughs> more in in uh in rhythm you know yeah uh, when things are aligning you're like okay cool whatever molecules are going on over here like this is going good and somewhere else on the other side of the world something really bad is happening <laughs> in order for this no that's a that's a that's a terrible way to think about uh of things is being like well if something good happens to me something bad must be happening to someone else well yeah i usually do benefit off the misfortune of others <laughs> is it hey that's that's just uh that's just we do live in a society yeah yeah I was like, yeah, I haven't listened to this in a really long time. And I think one of the reasons why I didn't was, I think people were also tweeting about that having your 20 or 15 year old phase where you're really into Pink Floyd. Totally. Um, And then feeling like that's in the past or that's tied to your juvenileness. And it's not, it's not, it's not you as an adult, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, Sure. Which is something that like, you know, he unlocked with 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 this because I ended up listening back to like, you know, Wish You Were Here and um, like that song in particular having probably like one of the most like like moving uh, vocal performances yeah. um, instead of lyrics. Like 
I would put that lyric above most things that Bob Dylan has done in that mm-hmm. song, just 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 for the simplicity and emotional impact of it. Mm-hmm. Except for maybe "Idiot Wind," um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Felix was tweeting about it a lot, and I had it going through my mind and the things that I was listening to and the samples from the from this music episode um, before the stuff that Gene, our bassist, did. Like he took, I he, he really likes this song, so I sent him the stems, and he wrote the really horrifying piece that plays mostly in the beginning. Okay, great. He, yeah, he mixed that out of all of these things and then forgot about it. So when I sent him the final piece, I was like, are you cool with this? He's like, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. <laughs> yeah, he listened to it twice and went to bed. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, pre, ooh, yeah, that's a, that's no good. <laughs> I always, even, whatever I watch or, or, or I mostly wa- watch visual programs, but I have to dial things down. I cannot go to sleep right after watching really intense TV. I always have to watch like a recipe video on YouTube. Uh, Kitty Source is good for that. It's it's nuts, but it's really entertaining for that. Wait, kind what, of what is this? Kitty Source is um you know actually I'm just gonna share my screen. Yeah, please. All right, Kitty Source. There's like three channels. Oh, already already like the strategizing of the, the content strategy. Oh yeah, that's good. That's how you know it's good. There's, there's, yeah, they have three channels. It's this. I think she, I think this lady's based in South Korea. She's got ten cats. Um. <laughs> Started out with seven, and at one point she got like three more. There's, there are three numbers of cats. There's one cat, two cats, and then just like the rest of uh, between three and a hundred, and it's all the same. Yeah, I'm actually preparing this time on the one we had with Robin. I had like all these tabs open, and oh no, that's so vulnerable. Yeah, I was like, I don't think she paid attention to anything, but it's still just like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> all right. Oh my goodness. Can you hear this? as well i can not hear it but i assume some sort of playful like uh piano music or something is playing yeah how do i change it to get the sound on there if if i recall correctly when you're sharing screen there might be like advanced and it's like share sound okay let's take a look at that share options (laughs) you're not seeing the share controls right you're just seeing a lady no just the just the lady pour a bunch of water into a bunch of uh trays that's correct i'm gonna i'm gonna redo this to make sure you can experience the full thing sweet there we go oh yeah got it yeah okay we don't need to have the whole four minutes and 14 seconds but Now, I don't know what this oh is like. Goodness. Yeah. I don't know what this is like to go to bed to, but waking up before work, it's quite helpful. Yeah. No, this this seems energizing, but then could also be um could could also be a, a palate cleanser. That's that's what I call Oh yeah. these things pa- palate cleansers. I mean, if I slow it down, it might be a good palate. Like that's good <laughs> to go to bed to, right? if you need to wake up and go to a show. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, wow. These cats really don't... They really don't want to get wet. They're cats, dude. (laughs) There's one... I gotta try and skip ahead because there's one really stubby guy. Yeah, these are very finely formed... Uh, cats. They look well groomed and um, cared for. 
Okay, yeah. This guy over here. The littlest <laughs> legs. Oh, that's wonderful. That's like the corgi of, of cats. Essentially, yeah. He's you know he's he's Darwin. <laughs> Just gently booping the water. He also eats everything. <laughs> I think this will be like a nice jarring transition after the song. It's just to go <laughs> talking about cats and have this little rockabilly music playing in the background. Oh, totally. <laughs> and that one is done. Oh, wow. Yeah. Water minefield. Seven million views. Oh, yeah. And people in the comments actually like write dialogue for them. You, YouTube, I have to say, I always, I always check as long as it, the video wasn't completely horrible. I always check the YouTube comment section because there's always, there's always good stuff there. People get really oh, yeah. vulnerable, like share like memories and stuff. So, and like sometimes like take it to like a like dark place when it's like, this is a, you ever, you ever see the, uh, there's a Twitter account that's disco comments and it's comments on um, disco music from on youtube and it'll just be people being like yeah 1978 we were crazy <laughs> like uh 19 exclamation points like cocaine was everywhere and then like this guy's like 62 years old now or whatever whatever like it's 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 so good there was um you know mojo pin by jeff buckley um i don't okay so jeff buckley had that album grace yes. that like you know uh, a lot of british all rock dudes loved in the 90s yeah um and the first track on it was called mojo pin and it has like a very delicately played guitar line the, the description had you know like this this poster's adulation for jeff buckley like he was a really skilled rock guitarist and in the comments the first thing was from gary lucas i think his name is mm -hmm. he's the guitarist okay. who actually wrote the song he's like yeah I, I, actually i wrote this song and and i would i would send these ideas to jeff we lay them down and the dude then just exposed like oh my god can i send you my shit <laughs> <laughs> i think that and that was one of the more interesting ones like with the cat videos it gets bizarre because people assign i mean these videos assign personalities to all the cats and totally right i'm talking way more about these cats than i expected to tonight but i'm gonna <laughs> go with it there there's an a spin-off channel there's three there's one that's in korean one that's um that's this one where it's like contests and games and they're fun and then there's another one called kitty source villains for some reason okay and there's an ongoing story that plays like the batman cartoon from the 60s yeah we're like it ends on a cliffhanger that's like almost immediately resolved, but the storylines are absolutely nuts. Lulu, okay. that little stubby guy has like powers. Uh, wow, and this is a lot of yeah. effort. Yeah, yeah. She, I guess I guess like this is her main source of income is these cats. She does voices for them as well, and they recently added animation for when they couldn't get stuff like the cats to do stuff. They just hired an animator to do it instead. <laughs> wow, this is amazing. The in, in referencing not being able to get cats to do stuff um chris and i went to the new york state renaissance fair a couple oh, yeah. weeks ago uh they had lots of like performances throughout the day scheduled in different locations and there was an act called cirque du sewer and it was a girl who's like an acrobat dancer she at one point juggled swords but she had three rats and a cat that she would do tricks with like it just sounds like every day is like roulette of like is the cat going to 
being a good cat today or like no matter how hard I train this cat, it might just have like just it might wake up one day and just be like, I'm not doing the thing that I'm not jumping on your head today. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. And then that turns into like a sort of a comedy situation. Anyway, it's a it's a it's a trip. But now I'm like, she probably needs a U- I don't know, maybe she has one. But I'm like, that sounds like it's YouTube channel worthy of just like cats doing tricks and sometimes cats not doing tricks How yeah. was, like did you guys go to ren fairs before or is this like this is the first time we can go out let's let's try this we had been four years before and that was my first both of our first times ever going to a renaissance fair and had no idea what to expect and it is truly like pound for pound like dollar for dollar it's like the best entertainment you could possibly get the tickets are like 30 bucks and then it's a $20 bus ticket to like get out because it's a little bit out of the city but it's like food drinks like so much entertainment there's like a jacked guy who does like swords whips and fire (laughs) that's his like whole thing in in different combinations thereof sometimes the swords are on fire sometimes the whip is on fire like that that kind of thing there's singing there's photo opportunities there's shopping they sell like every possible like they sell incense and essential oils but also like swords and knives that i guess you can just like go home with but they (laughs) like they're real swords and it's extremely entertaining and i like always i feel like people sometimes think i'm like taking the piss i'm like no it's like genuinely fun it's in like a like cute little like village like it's it's a that's the other thing is it's like a permanently built structure that like it's not like tents and stuff which would give it that like state fair vibe it's like a permanent like wooden village with like little baby castles and shit it's so good anyway highly recommend as a a musical experience it's great people playing harps like there's the lady play like just playing the harp just like posted up on the side of a path <laughs> do they keep the music like period specific or do the harp lady break into like an agata de vida uh that's <laughs> it's both period specific but also like renaissance fair is definitely i you know i saw people who were dressed as like barbarians uh or like vikings so like there's also it was time travel day which meant that you could dress like you were from the future like our friend dressed like doctor who so like it's renaissance is really it's not like fully uh specific to that period there's like anything from i guess the beginning of time to a million years in the future and it w- you would still it's all it's more like a con in that way like a comic-con type okay. of thing you could also just like if you're like i just want to dress like a c-3po you could do that and that would be fine but well i had something else that i wanted to say about music music timeliness oh we re- we were recently in London and we went to tea like high tea and there was a live piano player and they were playing beautiful piano music but some of it w- it was like mostly classical and then they started playing Vanessa Carlton a thousand miles and my sister and I like it w- almost like spit out our tea because I was just like this is so funny that it's like it's it does if you didn't listen you'd be like yeah this sounds like a beautiful piano song from some era. 2000 2001 it would be hard to not be distracted by the it was a little distracting he he did it as gently as you could with within the like parameters of tea but it was still like it was it was a bit like rousing and and inspirational 
Anyway, live music, I mean, that was the, I'm sure you felt this too, is like COVID was basically a year plus of just like not hearing music played live in person. And then I think the first thing I heard was like the Trader Joe's in our neighborhood either booked someone to busk or like someone just set up because obviously the lines outside of Trader Joe's are ginormous. And I just hearing this guy play just like shitty acoustic guitar, I was like, damn, this this rocks. (laughs) Missed this. I mean, like that was one of the highlights of. Um, I meant to ask you, was it? Were you and Chris working on frequency together? That was mo- that was a Chris that was a Chris uh, joint. I was just there day of to um, br- bring like a Duncan box of Joe and uh, let lend some moral support and r- run the social media. <laughs> I, did, I did the like Instagram stories. I'm like, I make make me of use somehow, so I'm not just standing here. But yeah, yeah. Um, I guess just give him my thanks on that thing because. Uh, I, I took a couple things in, like I took um, you know, back to Nick Cave. He did that solo piano thing, and that was, you know, that was nice, but it was very <laughs> staged, and you know, it was meant to be a film. It was not really, didn't really feel like a concert. Yeah. Whereas this was the first thing that I had seen in years, and the bands were like, I didn't know a single one of them, and they were all incredible performances. And like after that, I reached out to Ninety Five Bulls, and I saw you had them on. I'm so glad. They are so cool. They are like one of my absolute favorite like bands to see live in New York right now. Yeah. They're amazing. Having them come on for a song that was the complete opposite energy was <laughs> was kind of fun because it was it wasn't even like a dark, uncomfortable song. It was just like a low key abstract thing. I was like, all right, uh, what did you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i'm sure i'm sure they were like yeah <laughs> it's cool it's different they're they're really sweet but yeah like having all of these folks that have come out from you know that show or from like adjacent shows adjacent to your to your podcast where you, know, you guys have really given me a lot of content so i appreciate that. i love that well i know truly like hear, hearing that like 95 bulls who i like knew from the general like new york scene and then chris chris was like he was obviously like programming the fest and was like they were a last minute replacement actually for um because the the headliner ended up getting stuck somewhere like covid border wise or something and chris was like do you know anyone who's like in town like is rehearsed and could like fill in last minute and i was like 95 bulls obviously and then they went and crushed it and i was so and then you heard them you had them on the podcast like this is this is truly what what life is all about it's just like making the connects (laughs) seriously and not not in like a like ooh got you know not not in like a superficial way but the older i get i'm like this is all there is honestly (laughs) like the the illusions of like fame or popularity or even and, like the idea of being satisfied creatively ultimately <laughs> with the work that you do i'm like those are things that are, I'll, I'll chase and uh think about but it's uh, per- personal connections is where it's at honestly stranger than kindness bottled light from hotels do you have any more um videography uh projects coming up do i um i'm i'm trying to get i'm trying to start shooting a new thing that i have to figure out what it is and where it's gonna live but obviously i miss live music Mm -hmm. videography a ton during covid and wanted to get back into that and create 
kind of like a show where it's li- it's footage of live music in like New York venues and but then also like interviewing people, like interviewing musicians, interviewing the lighting person, interviewing like someone who might have covered the show for media, stuff like that or like someone who maybe like made the art that got projected on the wall behind the band and like kind of do like a show that's about how much work goes into one gig that lasts like 2 hours. So that that's in its very like early stages of of feeling it out. Um, yeah, that's the the main focus of energy at the moment. It's a, it's one of the things where I'm like I'm really uh, I'm I need to get better at maybe this is a this, this might actually be something interesting to ask you is like collaborating with your bandmates. Like, do you feel that that's what what is the mood when you're trying to collaborate on something? Like, do you feel like everything needs to be aligned vibe wise in order for it to go off, or do you think it takes a lot more work than that? No, it's usually, I don't feel confident when, when I hear their stuff there. Cause he, you know, like Gene is a wildly creative guy who just tucks away for you know a couple of weeks and then sends me something like the, the track, the piece that started this track. Mm-hmm. And Vic, on the other hand, is again, like another kind of cliche you'd hear some asshole talk about on a, on something, you know, like more legitimate. Oh, he, he, he devours and breathes and, you know, lives in music and, mm-hmm has very specific, incredibly creative ideas that are far beyond my capabilities as a somebody who sings and plays guitar at the same time. Yeah, that's so interesting. It, it doesn't make you feel like, oh, shit, cool, something to live up to. <laughs> is, it, is it like imposter syndrome-y? I get that more from talking about what I was inspired by. Mm. And then that like the the being shitty at music is just like a reminder that I need to practice more. Yeah. <laughs> um, or it's also a reminder to step back and like, you know, recalibrate. Am I focusing too much on the energy of selling a vocal performance and being mm. you know, chaotic in rehearsal? Or mm. am I focusing on having this like one guitar note hit at the right time? Because those both take a lot of concentration away from each other yeah totally yeah the imposter syndrome stuff comes from like talking about the anxiety and depression that would have influenced other you know like uh, music that i've written Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. after talking about for so long you can feel like you're full of shit Mm -hmm. or that you're trying to like practice radical honesty um yeah and it just it feels like you've engaged in something that is now trademarked and hashtagged and you're not like you're doing something that that sounds like it like your music sounds like it's coming from you in that regard but it can feel gross and mm. product-y as opposed mm-hmm. to like something I'm satisfied and excited about yeah I can I, that makes sense I can see that does it help like I guess maybe secondary question is like is, is the urge for you to like if you put obviously obviously not because you're making a podcast about putting out this music but like do you ever wish that you would put out music and then just be like this is just what it is like I don't want to think about it again or like I don't want to like engage with it again uh to an extent, like the first, I feel like I'm saying to an extent a lot because that's just such an easy way to start an answer. You can cut, so you like, can cut it in post. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good reminder. Thank you. Um, I, I don't think it, it's stopping, and like I think I, I, I would stop after a couple years, but like I'd want to play it. Um, mm-hmm. Something that's translated into how the show is set up is how I've always wanted and have strived to play, limited to no talking. Um, yeah. And the original podcast idea was to just have the music and just yeah, put it out. Right. And then, you know, send like tail between my legs emails to like you and and uh, 
anyone else who covers music yeah yeah <laughs> just tweet at people whose shows I listen to be like Dan I like the <laughs> bottle man <laughs> I I always like when people I, I don't know when people are like hey check out this thing I did I'm usually like cool I I am allergic to like well I'm I'm like, I don't want to say this and like uh, insult people, but like it's so much I, I'm on a lot of like PR lists, like music PR. And that always feels like junk mail to me. And like I really I really don't want to be a dick because I understand it's like a job and people need to promote their music and whatever. But like I got an email and may- maybe I'm just complaining about something specific. It's Someone, a safe space. Th- thank you. Um, no, no hate to PR people. Everyone's just doing their job. But I got an email that was like, listen to this artist. I can't remember who who they said they sounded like. Oh, like oh fuck me. It was the the specific phrase was like if blank and blank had a baby and they were both like I think party rock type of artists like LMFAO and like uh Black Eyed Peas or something. like it was something something that sounded super fun and I was like damn that so you sold me you and you clearly knit like you know you know what I like and I played yeah. it and it sounded like Tame Impala <laughs> like it, the band did not sound party rock at all I was expecting something that like was super like catchy and intense and like electro or something and fun and it was just like chill wave and I was like I have been duped and bamboozled Th- this is all to say I'm uh, uh, this is a very elaborate way of saying when people send me music especially like music that they've made or like a podcast that they've made or whatever I'm always like great i i'm glad it's like coming from you rather than someone who i don't know who doesn't know me who like i i get so many emails for introducing being like can we book this musician on your show and i'm like this is this is not like an interview show <laughs> like this is like a like i read a book and then we talk about it like do they have a book that they like just the kind of generic um deluge of uh emails so personal recommendations i'm like great yeah that's one of my favorite things ever is like hearing that someone cares about something that they made or that someone else made and they want me to hear it yeah (laughs) no i think it's you know when when somebody says something that's like very succinct and and concise and intelligent you're just like cool uh (laughs) yeah i do that as well i definitely do that as well i have nothing contribute that was well said (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah it's it's hard it's hard the attention the attention economy and on the internet is just it's it's tough out there yeah people it's tough to get people to care You've had some sick. I saw you had Ro- Robin Hatch on. Yeah, she was the last one. I the, the more people from Canada we have on, the more it does feel like everyone like, you know, we had Robin on. I think Chris knew her from something, and then like I followed her on Twitter, and then I saw that her and like Josiah from Blink One Fifty Five. I guess now it's just One Fifty Five. We're like tweeting at each other. I'm like, does everyone in Canada in the music scene know each other? And it does seem like it is co- like uh, converging into like a singularity of like uh, all Canadian musicians uh, be- being on the same on the same vibe same wave yeah i mean she talked about that on your show about like um scenes essentially dying during the pandemic but just sort of merging this amorphous online subculture yeah 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 Yeah. well like again you know reaching out to you guys was probably the most terrifying thing um (laughs) like 
you know, I, it, it's silly because I'm, I'm over past 30, but like, I'm, you know, an incredibly anxious person. Sure. And I emailed a whole bunch of people and was just kind of expecting no one to get back. Yeah. Um, and when like, I think you were the first two people I sent out was your show and maybe another band or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But when you, when you got back to me, it was like, it really made my day and oh, like gave me the Aww. courage to reach out to a lot of these other folks. Um, yeah. So like specifically, thank you. And, you know, like I've taken your advice to heart on how to make this, you know, like abstract, depressing and scary music as accessible to a potential <laughs> audience as possible. Yeah, no, I, I understand feel like I, I totally get it. But like, I mean, honestly, something that I have completely taken to heart from the Chapo guys is like, they, they basically don't, I mean, they, they might say no to things that at a certain point, but like Will in particular is basically he'll, he'll go on like almost anyone's podcast who asks like no matter how many f- followers or how few and I'm like, I just believe in that too. Like I'm, uh, it, it's the, um, who's that fucking guy from, uh, Fugazi, the, uh, the guy whose name I mispronounced and everyone got mad at me. <laughs> and now it's, it's not Gee, it's the other guy. Um, he, like he had time, he has time to do, like he'll do, he, he did a, um, elementary school, like interview like he went on someone some elementary you ever seen instrument the documentary about um fugazi no my brother i think has told me about it a few times he's a he's big into fugazi yeah they it it, you know it's them on the road and doing all these things but at one point they literally go to like an elementary school and like a fifth grader like interviews them for like their school like tv station and i'm like that i that's how i'm trying to be i'm like i'm not i i want to do as much stuff as possible and like collaborate with as many people as possible life life is simply too short and uh it's a waste to think that one is like too like good for something i'm like who who, what no way so i i really appreciate being asked honestly well thank you again um i guess one of the actual things i'm supposed to do in podcast where where can folks find you (laughs) oh hell yeah yeah um where can they find me i'm on twitter wait so much it's really bad it's probably bad but i'm having a blast honestly i know some people say twitter is like oh like rots my soul i'm like i'm having fun at miss molly mary is my twitter um and introducing is our uh podcast my podcast with my co-host slash husband chris that's found wherever fine podcasts are not sold um we, we it's, it's free it's all free we also have a secondary podcast called infinite cast where i'm reading chris the entire book infinite jest page by page episode by episode it's going to take like almost i think probably two and a half years to finish so we're we're a year in um th- those are the main those are the main places yeah that, that's cool, where yeah. i found i'll make a point to say this now that i'm going to link to all this stuff in the show notes because i back to my dislike of talking to the audience i've yeah. never said check the show notes for links everything <laughs> is in the show notes you like something in an old episode it's in the show notes it's as well show notes yeah see that that's where i i do love i never had a college radio station uh, but i would go to my friends stations and they mm-hmm. we had to read psas um like legally or whatever like and it was psas about like don't start forest fires or like you know if you have a gambling problem, like help, help you figure it out. But I always love reading the PSAs and that's now I'm realized that was just like podcasting type of behaviors. Like, you know, check, check the show notes, like subscribe, you know, all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's not easy though. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. again, thank you so much. It was 
fucking cool having you on dude like yeah thank thanks you so, so much. much for having me it's, it's an honor truly Draw!